Some of you know that I had the privilege of serving as a youth pastor in Southern California and had the privilege of taking teams around the world. One of the trips that we had was to Romania. And to get to Romania, we flew into Hungary. And on that trip, there was some trouble with the arrangements and we ended up arriving and there. I expected to have a, a missionary that I knew greeting us when we got there. And instead, there was a guy who had broken English who told me to get into some buses. And um, there were no air conditioning, it was super hot. Um, I, uh, the kids that I was with, the students that I traveled with, hadn't eaten for some time anyways. And then we got in this bus and we started to travel across Hungary. And at some point, one of the students like, got the word up to me. It's amazing how we can communicate, right? Like, we're like, we're hungry. Feed us. And so now I have to try to communicate to the bus driver that we need to stop. And so have this goofy communication. And he gets excited. And he says, okay, we'll stop. Um, but he says, that you'll have to, he, he says, you'll have to decide what we're going to eat. And so there's two options. Well, option one is goulash. Um, now, we're in Hungary, right? So, um, so I'm a guy who has eaten bugs out of windows that were sold to me in other countries. I'm a guy who definitely was told after I got home that what was in the sausage was not something that I'd want to have eaten in the sausage. And, and, and the problem with goulash, it's a wonderful dish. I love it. But I happen to know that, that when it comes to goulash, that you don't always know what that is. You understand what I mean? Like, like you don't know what meat is in there, and you don't always know what, what you're getting into. So I had this moment, uh, it was kind, I kind of thought, all right, so I've got these students, went in Rome, and, and then I looked back at those sweet students who I happen to know grew up on In-N-Out Burger and Chick-fil-A, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to be kind. So option number two was hamburgers, all right? So hamburgers, and he, um, and so we're trying to talk about and how many hamburgers do you want, and he described them like these little White Castle burgers, and so I'm like, I'm going to be so kind. The kids are going to be so, so thick. Sean, you're amazing. I'm going to buy two hamburgers per kid, you know? And, and, and when we got there, the, he called ahead, had them waiting for us. There's these platters with, with a cornucopia of cheeseburgers. It would have made five guys proud. You know how they have those brag sheets. They look great. Students run in, they get around the tables. It's this big restaurant. And we go to eat the burgers, and they looked great, but the hamburger was raw. I mean, raw. Like, it mooed when I bit into it, you know? And so, like, as you guys are all like, ah, like, we just had this moment where now we have to decide. So I prayed that missionary prayer that you thought, like, Lord, help me keep it down. I'm going to eat this now. And other students ate theirs. They tried to do it without. It was a debacle. Uh, but at some point, we, we ate something, and we left, and we survived. But the, uh, that moment, there was that moment, and it's going to catch us to something that happened in history, and that is to eat or not to eat is a question that's happened from Adam's time until today. Decisions about how we are going to eat. And it gets complicated in Corinth. We're studying, we're going through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and it was written to a church that was a baby church that was in a culture that was surrounded by pagan rituals and worship and altars. In fact, uh, this next slide shows you some of the images that we found in excavations where they're in, in, in uh, pottery and, and artwork. They show all kinds of ceremonies that happened where when you ate meat back in those days, there was a good possibility that that meat wasn't mysterious like my goulash, 
But it was mysterious in terms of its origins. Where did it come from? Was it a part of a ceremony? Was this ceremony a religious act of idolatry where there was a pagan ritual that happened, in other words, that there was worship involved in this meat? And so, so when you read Paul's words, his warning earlier in 1 Corinthians, it says, what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. So earlier, when he talked about meat sacrifice to idols, he is saying, I don't want you to participate in that. But the problem was, this next image gives you a, a glimpse of a market. The problem was you didn't just run down to Giant Eagle and grab a steak and you knew where it came from. That just wasn't the time period that they lived in. And so so what we're going to see today in the text is the Apostle Paul is going to talk to these people in the early church. He's going to respond to questions that they had about these difficult ethical decisions that they had to make about are we going to eat the meat that was potentially sacrificed to idols or not. Now some of you are like, hey, I have a really good idea that today I am not going to have to wrestle with the question of if I'm going to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols or not. But today, if you stick with me, what I want to encourage you in is we're going to have a glimpse into one of the most challenging things that we're experiencing in our lives today. And that is that, that this topic was one that required extra discernment for those people who are watching it. This, this was an area, you guys, you guys stick with me for a second on this. This is an area that was a gray area in the church. And some of you are uncomfortable with that idea of there being gray areas, areas that we say this requires extra discernment. I'm not talking about which direction should the toilet paper roll go over. Uh, I'm not talking about if pickles are a good idea or not. They're not. Um, I, I'm not talking about some of the things that we read, like Michigan, Ohio. You guys get it, right? Like that these, there's these, these questions that we have in life that are really no big deals. Well, this is actually something that really matters. And I'm so excited to share this with you this morning because in the midst of this, what we're going to get to see is when we have to wrestle with these gray areas, these areas that are difficult, for us to discern as Christ followers, we first, we want to find that verse that says, yes, do this. Yes. Do. Like, like, like some of the, the big ones today, it's, it's Halloween, right? Where some of you have written me questions this week. What do Christians do with Halloween? And I say it's a gray area because I served at a church, that church in California. We had some 12,000 people that would come to our church building uh, for an outreach that was called Halloween Happening. And so we got letters all the time about how could a church have an event that was called Halloween on Halloween and how evil. So, so there's this question, are you doing something wrong? There's questions that are in our society today. Let's, let's catch this. Questions about vaccinations, questions about gender, questions about ethics, questions about race, questions that are really, really difficult for us to wrestle through. And what I hope that you see in the time that we share together as we study God's word together is that you're going to recognize that meat sacrificed to idols was one of those. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us a pattern that's going to help us to wrestle with those decisions. And he's going to challenge us to understand that not only do we glorify the Lord in this process, and I'll just remind you, that's like, the, the, um, I love J. Oswald Sanders, the title of his devotional, My Utmost 
for his highest, right? He, he deserves my best. The Lord deserves the best that I can offer to him. But this morning, the title of the message is my best for their benefit and for his glory. And we're going to recognize that as we wrestle with these really difficult ethical questions, uh, for some of us, these gray areas that are significant and timely and challenging, what we're going to recognize is that there's a world around us that's watching us. And we actually have a privilege and a responsibility to show them the love of Christ through the difficult decisions that we have to make. Now, some of you are offended by me this morning because I called things that for you are black and white, gray areas. Some of you are frustrated because you wanna be in a world where there's really clear answers all of the time. And for the apostle Paul today, he's gonna say, yeah, eat. And then at other times, don't eat. And it's going to challenge us. And I, I noticed this today. I, I want to plea with you about this, that I noticed that for many of us today, we know the decisions that we're making and we look at the foolish, we call them no-brainers, right? Like this doesn't take any brains to figure this out. This is cut and dry, black and white, right and wrong. But you and I sit next to people who may make different decisions than us especially in the light of the things that we're talking about today. And in the midst of this, he's gonna challenge us to do something that, that we get this right. If we get this right, you know what he's gonna say? That, that the people around us, the others, it's not just neighbors, not just people who we share a property line with, but others, if we get this right, they're gonna to wanna to invite us into their lives. They're, they're gonna to want to pursue us and I think that it's so important for us to recognize as we study this together that, that I want to give my best for their benefit, for God's glory. And you know what's great about this? This isn't about these giant gestures that we do that fixes everything that's broken in the world. But instead, it's going to be the mundane that God's going to use to impact the lives of other people. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 23. We've just been going verse by verse through this series called the prodigal church, which some people get offended by. What are you calling the church prodigal? Well, the church, it was in its infant stages and the apostle Paul's writing to these precious believers and he's saying, you guys, there's some things that you're getting right. There's other things that you need corrected in. And in fact, there's this banquet that God's prepared for you that some of you are choosing to eat the slop of the pigs, that you're missing out on what God's provided for you. And so he writes it with that tone. And he says this in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful. Now that's in quotes. And the reason that's in quotes is that we don't have the letters that were originally written to Paul. So as Paul writes this in another city, he's receiving this letter from the Corinthians. And, and we're guessing that he's quoting something that they said. So someone there is saying, hey, as, as Christ followers, these are believers that he's writing to. As Christ followers, we can do what we want because of the fact that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So he's quoting the religious freedom that Christ followers have. But Paul then says, but not all things are helpful all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever someone says to you. I mean, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience, even if there's pickles in it. Verse 28, but if, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What I love about this text, and I thank the Lord for his word, is that we're going to see a pattern for us, a blessing for us to understand how to live in the light of tough decisions. And when we do that, I believe that we will have a major impact on those who are around us. Those who are around us matter. Uh, the first point this morning is we meet others where they are at. And a bunch of you go, duh, <laughs> like obviously, right? It's the biggest duh in the world. You meet others where they're at. I recognize though that in the history of the church, if you study the history of the church, there have been times where Christians have been in places that don't agree with their values. They feel like they're, they're separated from the culture. They, they want to remain distinct from the culture. And so they isolate themselves. They hide from the world that's around them. The apostle Paul is saying, you don't get to do that as a Christ follower. You are supposed to be in the world. The challenge for you is how do you exist when you have unbelieving neighbors? This term neighbor in the text is not like the person who I share a fence line with, but this neighbor is the person who is anybody that's in my life that, that is separate from me. It's just others. It's the other people that are around me. And he's saying, our decisions are going to potentially have an impact on those relationships. So we meet them where we're at and we should want to meet them. They think that this is essential for us to see. If we go back, we're going to pick this apart verse by verse. Verse 23, when he quotes this phrase, all things are lawful, then he asks these two questions that are so helpful for us. Write this down. Circle these in your Bibles. Make a note of this. These are two essential questions. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So, so when you think about the golden rule that, that I care for other people like I care for myself, it's essential for me to think through, what is it that I need to survive? What is it that, that I need to be help, healthy and successful and moving on in my life and honoring God? In my, like my neighbors need all of those things. The people who are around me need all of those things. And here he says, that it's essential for us to be people who seek their good, not just the good of ourselves. <laughs> Last week, I, I mentioned that there's this great pattern that, that if you live by this, I think you honor God's design. Jesus, others, yourself. 
But, but for some of us, I think even as we wrestle through the tough ethical decisions of my life or our lives, that we think of yourself first, maybe others, and then Jesus. So like we, we flip that on its head. I think that there's a challenge that's in this, that, that it's essential for us when we come to these really difficult decisions. I want to ask you to do, if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write these down, flip your note sheet over and write these down. I think these are helpful when we have extra discernment required. When we have gray areas that, have to, that we have to wrestle with, I mentioned earlier, vaccinations, mask or mask, not mask, politics, race, gender, very difficult questions for us to wrestle through. I want to encourage you to see these three things as being very helpful. The first is what's God, God's word say about this? Remember, we're told in God's word that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us, that his word gives us the opportunity to understand his truth. Now, some of you say, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm frustrated with this because I'm trying to find the verse that specifically speaks to the ethical question that I'm wrestling with. And I just want to challenge you, if you are not in God's word for yourself right now, people are twisting scripture all the time. They're taking verses that mean nothing to a situation and they're twisting. You, you heard about the guy who was on the Senate floor that said, amen and a women. Did you guys hear about this? Like you, you listen to this and you just go, this has nothing to do with anything. And yet you're saying it as if it's fact. And people are using these verses and they're twisting them. They're stealing them out of their context. And they're saying things that don't make any sense. Why? Because they don't represent God's simple truth. God's word is clear. What it doesn't do is always address the specific situation that you're in because God's okay with us wrestling with how to honor him in the decisions that we make in our life. So you begin with the foundation of the truth of God's word when you have extra discernment required. The next question, and this one is missing for a lot of us, is how does my decision impact others? How, how is the decision that I'm going to make have an impact on the people that are around me? For some reason, this gets lost sometimes. You remember Paul said this in this section. He says, but not all things are helpful, but not all things build up. So, so we add those two questions. So what, what is going to be helpful for the people that are around us? What, what is going to build up the people who are around me? Those questions have to be asked. And then finally, if it doesn't go against God's word, then there's probably some freedom that God's given you. If the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you in this area, we're going to see Paul say, go to the market and eat. And some of you read this and it's offensive to you because you say, well, that, how, what about this? And how could this be right? And the Apostle Paul is sharing with us what it means for us to understand freedom that we have in Christ. So it's not complete freedom. We don't compromise on our convictions. And it's so helpful for us to study this because it gives us clarity. This next thing has been such a helpful thing for me. I think when it comes to caring about others, I think it's essential for us to see others through the eyes of Christ. 
We don't see them as people that we're competing with. We don't see them as frustrations. We don't see, we, we see them like Jesus sees the tax collector in the tree that he says, come down and, and let's go share a meal together. The woman at the well, he's paying attention to the fact that it's in the middle of the day. She's ashamed of herself and he's going to permeate her life through his loving kindness and pursuit. We talked about this last week, the kids that are trying to get to Jesus and he, he tells the disciples, hey, come on, let him, let him come. There's an awareness of the value of people. Not that they're an expense, not that they're a burden, but instead they're just precious. And I think that for each one of us, we need to be people that see the potential in other people. Jesus knows the potential of others, and so should we. At the end of this section, it says that Paul wants to be an imitator of Christ. I think for each one of us, we need to be people who are sensitive to the things that we can do that push people away, but we also need to be sensitive of the things that we can do that would make them want more of us. Do you understand that that's what the text is saying? When he says, I'm gonna, they're going to invite you into their lives, that you're living such a lifestyle that they say, I want more of you in my life. For some of us, that's a, we're far cry away from that because of the way we live our day in and day out lives. It's so convicting for me. I look at this next verse, verse 25, and, and I see Paul, um, not, he's, not, he's not throwing caution into the wind. He's not saying that he doesn't care. He's saying, just understand that there's freedom in Christ. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question. Now, this is the same guy who said earlier, don't, don't eat what's been sacrificed. Um, don't, you know, we recognize that the, the, the demons and all. He, he's not ignorant of what, what the meat could be. But he's saying, don't stress over this. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Uh, Asaph, uh, the worship leader who helped dedicate Solomon's temple, penned these words in the book of Psalm, Psalms. And as he penned this, what I recognize is that he's saying that this is a form of worship to the Lord, understanding God's great provision for us, his blessing, his gift, that, that there's, when, when Peter encountered the Holy Spirit and when God spoke to him and he said, do not call unclean what I have called clean, there's an invitation and an encouragement to understand God's blessed provision. In other words, God's given you good things. He, he hasn't stolen those things away from you. Verse 27 Now's where it really gets convicting for me. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are di disposed, has anybody ever used that word in a sentence? I'm otherwise disposed to, right? It just doesn't sound, it sounds weird, does it? The ESV uses this, the NASB uses that term. Uh, I needed to translate this to understand it. The Greek word here is just, if you want to, if you want to go, if you, if you want to do, if, if you've got a nudge inside of you that says, hey, yeah, let's, let's go. Now, now let's, let's catch the two parts of this. One is that there's an, actually an invitation for you to be a part of people's lives. That's the challenging part. In my perspective, am I living in such a way that people want me to be a part of their life? The, the second part of that, the disposed part, is actually one of the blessings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Have you guys ever woken up in the morning and said, hey, God, I want to see you at work today. I, I love praying the Colossians 4, 2 through 6 prayer, the make the most of op every opportunity seasoned with salt. 
Then there are times, uh, some of you have asked me this, like, why do you sign your letters expectantly? I'll just tell you, I want to live every day of my life expecting that God's going to do something cool that day that he's gonna do something that's gonna shock me or push me out of my comfort zone. And I can tell you that, that through the Holy Spirit's nudging, there's times when it's as simple as going left on the bike path and never go that direction. And, and I'm there with one of my daughters and down the path we go. And then, and then a couple of uh, half hour, 45 minutes later, we run into somebody that at the minute that I see them, I'm thinking, well, that's why God wanted us to go that way. At the gas station, I never come pump gas. They're, it's too expensive there pumping gas at that gas station. And I run into somebody that the Lord just set in my way. Why? Not because I'm great, but because he wanted me to care about that person. Do you understand? Do you experience this? If you're not, I want to challenge you to have eyes to say, Lord, like, what are you going to bring? So, so this statement here, when he says, as you're disposed to go, I'm just going to pray for all of us. God, give us more, please. Give us more divine encounters and the eyes to see them when we get them. You guys get it? And so, so when we pray for that, though, what we see is when we see others through that, that recognition of the anticipation of what God could end up doing in and, and through their lives, what I think is great about this is that, is that God is going to challenge us. And what I see here is dinner and you go over there and you're disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. That, that's a great phrase. So, so if God opens the door for you to go, open the door, go, accept the invitation. And in that process, he's saying, enjoy and eat what's provided for you. I think this begins, in order for us to get this right, it begins with us seeing others through the eyes of Christ. I think it's praying that God opens the door. It means that we go. And then when we experience that invitation and that blessing, I think it's appropriate for us to say that we encounter and engage and participate. And as we encounter and engage and participate in life together with people that don't always agree with us, that have a different maybe set of values or views, that in that process, we have the privilege of joining them together. Now, we're going to see in the text that this doesn't mean we compromise. It means that we're sensitive, that we're so kind that they want us to be a part of their lives. And then in that process, we allow ourselves to engage and participate and share with them in the blessing of life. It's what this is talking about, right? It's doing life together. They use that phrase, burden-bearing fellowship on purpose. It's, a, it's, a, it's an architectural concept of burden-bearing. It can hold weight. It's strong enough to bear a load. And, and I wonder for some of us if that's what we're experiencing. We're, we're allowed to, to pursue others and to help them to feel supported by the, the work of our lives, the experiences of our lives. So, so here what we recognize is compromising your faith is not required. It's doing what is helpful and profitable for others. It's caring for others like you care for yourself. And, and I just believe this, that sometimes it's just allowing the little things to make big impacts on the lives of others. D.L. Moody says this powerfully. He says, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord. We declare that that we're willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do the little things. You guys agree with that? That we think about the great things that God wants to do in and through us, but for some of us, it's the little things that he's asking of us. What help do they need, regardless of if they're asking for that help or not? 
I think it's in the mundane, the small things that God can allow us to have opportunities to pursue and care for other people. John 13, 34 says, by this shall all men know that you are mine by your love for one another. That's not just normal love. That's supernatural love. That's outrageous love. That's a gift that, that is tangible, that you can see it in the lives of other people. So uh, it goes a little bit beyond pickles for Jesus, you know. It, it, it goes into the mode where we say, Lord, I want to be used by you where you want to move me for your glory. The second point this morning that comes from the text is what we do can have a huge, or what we choose to not do can have a huge impact on the lives of others. In this context now, he's going to share what he doesn't want them to do. Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of his conscience. This is a weird, weird story. Um, but we had, we had, this didn't happen to Allie and I, but this happened to some friends of ours. We were over at their house for breakfast. Um, I'm sorry, this is a terrible illustration, but I'm going to share it anyways. We were over at their house and they shared that they were over at some other friends' houses and they were there for breakfast. And after they had eaten breakfast, uh, the family that was hosting them said, hey, did you like the pancakes? Hey, by the way, if anybody says that like, like that, you might get a little suspicious. They said, we ran out of milk when we were making the pancakes and we had some leftover breast milk in the fridge. Yes. Now, now, how many like laws were violated? How wrong is this? How evil is this? Like, this is like, I'm going to tell you right now, we're not friends anymore. If, this, if you think of it, you know, like it's it just terrible. In this context, I, we don't know what the motive would be for someone. There's a couple of guesses in the text. Like, why would they at a meal while you're eating together say, hey, this food was sacrificed to idols? Uh, some guess that it could be another guest that came to the meal that understood the history of where that, that came from. So, so picture that you're at a non-believing person's house and someone at the table is a believer and they say, hey, I happen to know that this meat that we're about to eat was sacrificed to idols. It's possible that it is even more maniacal than that, that the host is testing the person. So as they're eating the food, like my, the horrible breast milk story, that's terrible. Uh, I can't believe I told you that. But hey, um, that, that as, as they're eating it, that they're saying like, ha ha, or, or whatever, like maybe they're trying to entrap them or catch them. Another way to look at it is that it's a hospitable guest who says, hey, just so you know that the meat that you're about to eat was sacrificed to idols. I, I hear that this matters to Christians. So whatever the scenario was, uh, the question that comes to the surface is what should we do? If it's, if it's a person who is attempting to, um, to, to hang us up or to ask these questions, we, we don't know the motivation. It says, if someone says to you, in verse 28, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I think that it's appropriate for us to recognize that there's times when it's really appropriate to say, I can't do that. I, I can think of a time, I, I didn't share this in the first service, I, I don't know why I'm sharing it with you, but it's important actually. I can remember a time when I was with a group of students in high school and 
Um, they, they, there was a group of guys who went into this room and they started showing something on the TV that was just no part of my life. Like I wanted nothing to do with what was in there. These are guys that I played football with. These are friends. And, um, and I thought that they were people who are professing Christ followers, but what they were doing had nothing to do with representing. And, and instead of me standing up and be like, you guys are fools, um, what I just chose to do is like, hey guys, I'm, I'm not going to stick around. This isn't who I am. This isn't me. And in this context, I think that there's a part of this that he's saying, like, there's times if you're, if you're someone who's in recovery and you've struggled with alcoholism in your life and someone pours a glass of wine for you at the table, it's appropriate for you to say, hey, I'd prefer to have a glass of water. For others of you, though, you look at this context and there's great freedom that's listed in this text. And so I want you to catch this as we read this, that, that part of what he's saying here is if it's going to um, if it's going to put your, your, your ethical decisions at risk, that it's appropriate for you to abstain. He says, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He's going to answer that difficult question for us. Why would I be willing to set aside my liberty for the sake of someone else's conscience? First is, I think it's important for us to remember that we avoid the temptation to compromise on our convictions. I love the idea of pre-made decisions. I think this is really important for us. So here he's saying, he's not, he's not sending this letter expecting that they're, they're reading this while they're over at someone's house getting ready to eat a steak that's been sacrificed to idols, right? Paul's point is that he's saying to them, there may be a day when you experience a decision that you have to make that's going to be an ethical one, that's going to put you in a difficult space to decide, do I or don't I? The best time, uh, Dave Purdy, a good friend of mine, he, he loves to say this. He says, the best time to deal with a problem is when there is no problem. The best time to deal with a problem is when there is no problem. In other words, hey, I might be put in an ethical, difficult situation. How am I going to respond graciously? How am I going to be kind? How am I going to react to this? Because I recognize that I want to be careful about doing what builds them up, what is gracious, what helps their understanding of the reputation of Christ so, so here, the pre-made decision at times is like he says, if someone says this to you, but then make the decision ahead of time. How would I respond? What's the wise thing for me to do? There's kind ways to decline. There's kind ways to choose that you're not going to or going to do something. Verse 30 goes on to say this. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks now, now, this is really cool. This is kind of a side note in this passage, and I love this. One of my daughters one time asked me, like, why do we pray before meals? It just seems kind of weird. Well, we'll hear what Paul is saying. This is a little different than the rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you know, uh, kind of prayer. But, but he's saying, like, looking at our lives, even if something was in its past done with evil, that there's a sanctification process. Now, this doesn't mean that you take the chocolate cake and pray over it and now it's nutritious, right? Sorry. Um, some of us like that idea, right? This is, this is not about, the, um, about how healthy or not. This is him saying that I'm taking something that was a part of something evil and I'm thanking the Lord for it. I'm, I'm thanking him for his provision and I'm sanctifying it through the prayer process. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, now he broadens it out. Remember, these are mundane things, the kind of things that are required for all of us, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, how are you supposed to do this? You're supposed to do it in such a tangible way that people see your excellence and they say, that is somebody who has a God that I want to have in my life. Do it as unto the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. So when Joseph was a man who was serving and he was enslaved and then he served it as a servant and his excellence was so tangible that other people said that I want to promote him because he's doing everything so well. That's, that's the thing that God aspires for each one of us, that we do everything as unto the Lord. That's your job, that's school, that's, that's how you parent, that's how you are a friend. Do everything as unto the Lord. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I love that it's the mundane thing that matters. I love that in the midst of this, that, that there's an excellence conviction that's an excellent way to get noticed. We should be people who are gracious. We should be people who are selfless. We should be people who are patient in our pursuit of other people. I think it's appropriate for us to understand, like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy that talks about the basic needs that we have as human, like that all of our neighbors, all of our friends, everybody around us has that same set of needs. And we ought to be people who are aware of, sensitive, and willing to pursue and care for those needs for others. We should be gracious. We should be selfless. We should be pace, patient in our pursuit of other people. And you know what's great? The text is even going to tell us that religion shouldn't get in the way of our ability to love other people. It says this in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, avoid allowing religion to divide you from being able to connect with other people. 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? so that they may be saved. It's funny, to call someone a people pleaser is almost a cuss word in our society, right? Oh, they're, they're a people pleaser. We say that as if it's a terrible thing. And, and the Apostle Paul isn't doing something that's codependent. That's evil. Codependent is just weird. That doesn't make sense. But what he is doing is he's saying something that's really important. He's saying, I care enough about them that I'm willing to pursue them. I, I want to be brought into their lives. I want to care about them. I want to allow them to see the love of Christ, that they understand that, that this is sincere, that I have for them. And I'm willing to set aside my comfort. Why? We talked about this earlier. Why? Because he was willing to care for those things that are helpful and those things that build others up. So here he says, whether you eat or drink, do it as unto the, to the glory of God. Give no offense, just as I try to please everyone and everything. I do not, but seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And then he gives us the foundation of everything that we've been talking about. Follow me, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want to thank you for, for going on this journey with me as we studied this passage of Scripture. And I just want to remind you, I want to go back to this gray areas that are difficult for us. 
that, that these gray areas are not new to the history of the church. They don't surprise God. They feel so frustrating to us because we, we want black and white, crystal clear, take it to the bank kind of truths in our lives. And I think that we can make decisions based on great levels of conviction in our lives. I think it's also essential for us to understand that we have to be aware of the fact that there are people who are around us that aren't making the same decisions as we are. And in that process, we need to be people who are willing to saturate that with an understanding of love. So Paul communicates love to those around us. Uh, Paul communicates love to those who he's challenging that are asking this question. How do I deal with the simple challenge of meat sacrificed to idols? And he, he challenges them to say, how do you care about the people that are involved in the process you know, the decisions that you and I make, we, we are designed to be people who are holy. We're, we're designed by God to be set apart in our worship of the Lord. So there should be a distinction from us. There should be at times things that we just won't do. I think it's also beautiful to see in this text that, that God is saying to us, in the world that we live in, we ought to be the kind of people that other people want us to be a part of their lives. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that, that Jesus, the God that we worship, was invited to a wedding party? Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful to picture him engaging and laughing and participating in interactions with others? It's, it's fantastic to me. I think that's something that God aspires for us, to be people who other people want to be a part of our lives. I think we ought also ought to recognize in that process that they're watching us. They're paying attention to what we are doing. And hopefully it's lavish acts of love that people can't ignore. I, I love this, 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 pic, this painting um, by the, Theodore um, Augustine Rabot. Uh, that when, this, when he painted this, I've shown this before, I love it. Um, it's one of my favorite paintings. And I remember when I first saw this painting, what stood out to me is, yes, it's about the, um, the Good Samaritan and the man who's coming alongside of this, this man who is suffering and he's going to care for him. But what I love is also the child that's sitting behind him, that's watching what's happening. Parents, our kids are watching us. Brothers and sisters, our neighbors are watching us. Friends, we, we need to recognize that it's not just about talking. It's not just about our beliefs, but it's that our beliefs are placed in action in such a way that people cannot ignore them. I think that's what God is asking of each one of us. And when it comes to our EDRs, the extra discernment required in our lives, I hope and pray that like the Apostle Paul, you're willing to do some of the things that might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Why? For the sake of other people, to bring God glory and honor. And so I want to invite you to join me in taking a minute as the worship team comes forward. We're going to close this time out in an appropriate response to the Lord. This song's wonderful that we're going to declare together. Let's, let's fill this room with praise. But as we do that, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to search your heart. So, so um, the, the real question, stand up with me, all right? Uh, so the real question that after a sermon like this is, so what? Like, why, why does this matter? So what? And I want to challenge you to think about somebody in your life that God's asking you to pursue. I want to challenge you to consider in your life, what does it mean for you to consider how you view your neighbors, how your neighbors view you, and what does it mean for you in your work, at school, in your life? What does it mean for you to apply this simple 
and yet profound truth. By this shall all men know that you are mine. Why? Because of your love for one another. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your knowledge of us that's perfect. For many of us, we wrestle daily, Lord, with how it is that we're supposed to make decisions in a world that doesn't agree always with the values that we hold that are precious to us. And Lord, I thank you for for the Apostle Paul and others like the Lord Jesus Christ that modeled what it means to be in a world that doesn't always agree with us and yet loving the world that's around us. Thank you, Lord. I pray that as we declare this praise to you, Lord, that we would do so in spirit and in truth in response to your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.